From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs. Hello and welcome to Injury Insider with Derek Hayes on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. This show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and expertise. For nearly 25 years, Derek Hayes has represented injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. I'm your host, Lita Brooks, and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of our show, Derek Hayes. Good afternoon, Derek. Good afternoon. Great to see you again. Well, thank you. Before we begin, a quick reminder that Injury Insider is brought to you by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs, and by the law office of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Whenever we get together for Injury Insider, I'm always anxious to see what topics we are going to cover. I feel like we've discussed so much in this podcast so far, but you always seem to find something new that piques my interest and I know the interest of all of your listeners. Today is no different. I understand that the first topic today addresses a question you received through the podcast tab on your website. And at the end of the show, we'll tell everyone how they can submit their questions. But today, the question has to do with dog bite claims. I don't think many people understand the law about dog bites and what responsibilities a dog owner has when their dog attacks someone. All right, before I get to the question that was submitted, I have one of my own. Tell me about dog bites. Are they common? Yes, they are, believe it or not. Dog bite claims are, are relatively common here um, for many reasons. Dog owners are um, you know, very prevalent in, in, in the South and I guess throughout the rest of the country. But yes, dog bite claims are very prevalent. Um, the numbers seem to be growing. It, it's interesting. I've handled many, many dog bite claims over the years. And I'd kind of guess that I probably get eh, at least 20 calls or more a year about potential dog bite claims, and they can be all levels of severity. Um, approximately 4.5 million dog bites occur each year in the U.S. That's according to a stat from April of this year. So 4.5 million dog bites a year. 800,000 of those bites result in medical care. So the U.S. population is about 328 million, I think it is. Um, at least in 2019. So that means it's about one dog bite for every 73 people. Think about that. So Yeah, wow. And, I didn't realize there were so many dog bites every year. Yeah, I, and just because a dog bites doesn't mean there's a claim. So there's a lot of dog bites, but not necessarily a lot of dog bite claims. But that's a lot, 4.5 million dog bites uh, a year. Yeah, that does seem like a lot. But it also confirms that people need to know more about them. All right, with that in mind, I'm going to get to the question. This was submitted from Robert from Atlanta. Here it is. My neighbor has a large dog that frequently gets out of their backyard and comes onto my property. It hasn't bitten anyone yet, but will growl, bark, and intimidate anyone it sees. I have young kids, and I'm afraid that it might attack. If that happens, what, if anything, can I do? 
It's a great question, Robert, and it's also, too, a very scary situation. I, I feel for you because I have kids as well, and anyone, even if you don't have kids, if you've got a dog that's getting out of the backyard of the neighbor and growling, barking, showing its teeth, those kind of things, it can very be very intimidating. But the short answer is that your neighbor can be held liable if their dog bites anyone. I would say before I get to the more detailed answer about dog bite claims, I encourage you to at least try talking to your neighbor first before anything bad happens. They may not be aware of it. Uh, you may have already tried that route, and if so, um, they may not realize the danger that you're feeling. So be very clear and, and make sure they understand your dog's getting out and it's growling, it's it's showing its teeth, it's doing all those things that make it look like it's potentially going to be very vicious and violent and attack someone. Next, I'd encourage you to contact your local animal control office. Um, make them aware of the situation because they can come out and they can potentially cite your neighbor if the, the fencing is not appropriate or the gate's broken, those kind of things, and the dog continues to get out. Uh, because they may not get into your house, um, to your house in time uh, to see the dog roaming around outside. I'd also encourage you to take pictures. Use your cell phone. Make pictures anytime you see the dog out. Or video, especially if it's showing those violent tendencies, so that they can truly understand exactly what you're talking about. Because by the time you call animal control, it may be a while before they get there. And also, too, your neighbor may deny that their dog gets out. Uh, they may get the dog back in the backyard and close the gate that they left open before. And when animal control gets out there, they can say, no, no, my neighbor's crazy. My dog's never out. I don't know what they're talking about. But if you got those pictures, it's tough to deny it when the dog's in your driveway. Uh, and as we know, a, a picture can tell a thousand words. Well, and even more, I think, I want to say important, but a still picture. But we're all holding smartphones nowadays. What about a video? Yeah, that's it. Right? The that's same kind of along those same lines. Right, right. But right. Go ahead and just hit play on that. And you have a, a very accurate account of exactly what that dog was doing. Yeah, it's tough to deny when that dog looks just like the dog in the backyard next door. And you've got a video of it in your driveway. And they say, well, no, that's not my dog. I don't know what they're talking about. Well, you have the video or, or picture proof to prove that. Well, that's great advice and definitely might make a dangerous situation go away. All right. What if the dog actually bites someone? What is the law regarding dog bites? I want to start with the code section. There is a specific code section here in Georgia, 5127. Every state has their own code section addressing dog bites, but Georgia specifically, since we're here, it's 512-7. And I'm going to read verbatim. It says, a person who owns or keeps a vicious or dangerous animal of any kind and who, by careless management or by allowing the animal to go at liberty, causes injury to another person or do, who does not provoke the injury by his own act may be liable in damages to the person so injured. In proving vicious propensities, uh, it shall be sufficient to show that the animal was required to be at heel or on a leash by any ordinance of a city, county, or consolidated government, and said animal was at the time of the occurrence not at heel or on a leash. So that's that legal mumbo jumbo yeah, we talked about you before. you got to give it to it. Now break right. it down for all us. All those words that attorneys get paid yeah. to throw on paper, and some of it means something. Some of it's kind of just a, 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 an attorney well, being an attorney. This but, one I could understand more than some of the other ones you've written. Yeah. Okay. And you notice it says a vicious or dangerous animal of any kind. And so it's not limited to dogs. Any other animal that you keep and you're allowed to have in your home that is vicious can can also be subject to this statute. So it's not just dogs, but let's break it down a little bit easier to, to make it a little easier to understand the, the components of this. Very simply, in order to prove an animal's owner is liable under the statute, there are three very basic components, three prongs to the test, we call it. Number one, the animal is vicious or dangerous. 
Number two, the owner was careless with the animal or let it go at liberty, which caused the injury. And number three, the injured person did not provoke the animal. So that statute, as I said, covers almost any kind of animal and, and for that matter, any, any kind of conduct by that animal, any behavior that may cause an injury. So if you're injured when a large dog jumps on you, you walk in the front door and the dog's not a vicious one, it's not attacking you, but the dog jumps on you and knocks you down and you break an ankle or break a leg, well, that's still going to fall into the statute. So they still would be liable for any injury caused by that excited dog, not biting, but one that jumps and, and knocks you down. So it doesn't just have to be a bite. Oh, wow. Well, what should someone do if they've been bitten by a dog? Well, it's extremely important information here, and I hope everyone remembers these very basic steps if you're ever bitten by a dog. Um, if you're being attacked, the, the main thing that you'll hear from animal control officials and from those that are familiar with, with vicious dogs and, and how dogs will attack, if you can at all possible find a safe place to escape the attack, if it's jumping up on top of a wall or a car, something along, lo along those lines, well, then do it. Try and get out of harm's way as best you can. If you can't, if you're saying, for example, on a roadway or on a sidewalk and there's nowhere to go and, and get away, they'll tell you to get into a fetal position and try and block your face and your head as best you can. And this is tough, but remain calm. And you say that, but you're also thinking about a dog's teeth digging into your body. And, and the idea of remaining calm is tough, but they will tell you, get in the fetal position, cover your face, your head, and then try and, as best you can to remain calm. Now, once the attack is done, seek immediate medical care for any wounds. If there are any uh, bite uh, areas, or, or obviously if, if a dog's bitten, you're potentially going to be bleeding, get that addressed as quickly as you can. If it means calling an ambulance, call an ambulance. Get them to come out as, as quick as they can to address the immediacy of your injuries. Have someone take pictures of the dog if you can't. Um, take pictures of the area where the attack occurred. It's on a sidewalk, on a driveway, wherever it may have been. Um, get somebody, if there's somebody with you, get them to take pictures of the person that's with the dog. Uh, the handler, if, if it's someone that's a dog walker that's been employed to take care of the dog, or if it's the owner of the dog, try and take pictures of them. Exchange information, if you can, with the person that has the dog. See if you can find out their name, their contact info, their phone number, their address. Find out where they came from uh, in walking that dog. If there are any witnesses, get their contact info, their names, their phone numbers, because those witnesses can tell the story many times that you may not be able to. As you're trying to escape the dog, they, the witness may have seen some conduct on, on the part of the owner of the dog or the one walking the dog that calls into questions whether or not they actually had the dog on a leash or properly had the dog on a leash. Uh, request veterinary records for that dog that attacked you because you need to make sure their shots are up to date, that they've had everything necessary that they're required to have because ultimately... You might have to deal with uh, potentially rabies or something along those lines. But if they can prove the dogs had their shots and the veterinary records are up to date, well, then that can hopefully avoid that uh, difficulty. Also, call the police and animal control, not just the police or just animal control. It's important to have a police report, and it's also important to have an animal control report. And they will do that um, so that they can document exactly where it occurred, what happened, who was involved, and those kind of things. Also, on a side note, Nowadays, with home security cameras as prevalent as they are, the ring doorbells, those kind of things, look and see. When you, if, if you don't get a chance in the moment to look around, go back there. If it had happened on a street or a sidewalk, look at the homes that are around there. Not just in, directly in front of the spot where the bite occurred, but leading up to that point. If the person is walking from the north going south, well, look at the houses that are north of where the, the uh, attack occurred 
and see. It could be that there's video of the person walking but not holding the leash or walking and the dog's not on the leash. And that could prove later on the allegation that the dog was not under control. Well, you're fantastic information and I'm sitting here as you're talking going through the whole list yes yes that makes perfect sense stay calm which of course would be really difficult to do but one of the things I'm thinking I'm a parent you're a parent this is great information to pass to our kids what if they're out riding their bike or they're out walking these everything you just said are things we need to tell them because we may not be there if an animal attack happens right right? Right. and chances are they got a smartphone in their pocket so they need to be aware hey don't just you know get bobby to safety you know make sure to the other one who maybe wasn't attacked i'm just thinking you know kids ride bikes in pairs and threes and fours but even telling them what to do if they witness an attack or if it's them or um but yeah i mean kids are always out in the neighborhoods so it's all i think crucial. that makes very good very good points sure it's, it's crucial evidence evidence that can disappear and it will disappear that's the reality of it because if there is no video of the scene, if there's no picture of where it occurred, if there's no picture of the dog that attacked or the person that's walking the dog, and later on you try and identify that person or identify the dog, well, it's very easy to say, no, that wasn't me. I wasn't there. My dog wasn't there. My dog was at home. I was at work. And a picture is, is difficult for someone to escape responsibility when you can show them, well, actually, no, here you are, and here's your dog. So, yes, it was you, and yes, it yeah. was your dog. Especially if it's a couple of 10-year-olds, uh, yes. you know, or yes. 15 or however old your children might be. So, right. somebody have their phone in their pocket. But you've mentioned the leash a couple times. Is there is any of this affected by leash, law, leash laws in certain counties? Yes. Leash law alone may be proof of the carelessness of the owner, meaning that, uh, let's kind of give an example. So let's say you're walking down the street and you see a person with a dog coming towards you and the dog is not on a leash. And that dog comes towards you and you try to pet it or, or you just ignore the dog, but yet the dog bites you. If that's a place where the attack occurred, where you're walking, that requires dogs to be on a leash, simply proving to the court that the dog was not on a leash is enough to prove that the dog was vicious for the purpose of Georgia law. Now, that's true with other states as well, but again, we're talking about Georgia specifically. So if there is a leash law in place and the person does not have their dog on a leash at the time, that in and of itself can be enough to prove the viciousness uh, element of the statute. Um, that's also true even if the owner had no reason to think that their dog would bite because you know, people will say, oh, my dog's never bitten anybody. I can't believe they did that. Well, if you don't have them on the leash, that doesn't matter that the fact that they were supposed to be on a leash and they weren't is sufficient enough to prove the vicious element. So under Georgia law, a dog, again, can be considered vicious if they're not leashed in an area where the leash law or ordinance applies. Um, This law gives a dog bite victim a little more flexibility, if you want to call it that, because it makes it easier to show that the dog was dangerous. All right, so I want to dig a little deeper into something that you just said. So what if someone had no idea that their dog would bite because the dog has never bitten anyone before? Is, is this different? The dog is, has up to this point been completely harmless. It, it's referred to as the one bite rule. And, and I don't know if anybody's ever heard that, that phrase before other than attorneys, but the one bite rule is in many states. Georgia's not one of those. We kind of have a modified one bite rule. And what that means in in those states that do have that, a dog will not be considered vicious or dangerous unless it has bitten someone in the past. So in in that case, if if a dog's bitten before, the owner is on notice of the specific dog's propensity to bite. 
So the one bite rule means, all right, well, you already knew about it because your dog's bitten somebody before. So the first bite doesn't matter, but the second bite does. Without that bite, the owner could argue that they didn't know the dog was dangerous or vicious. Um, the dog owner is, is only legally responsible, as I said, for damages that arise from the second bite in those states that apply the one bite rule. Now, in Georgia, it's not the strict one bite rule. Like I said, it's, it's kind of a modified rule. So in Georgia, the dog owner, if, if they know that the dog is violent or vicious, then the owner can be held legally responsible for the dog's actions, even if they've never bitten anybody before. In addition, the dog's owner may also have been uh, keeping the animal carelessly, like I talked about, or recklessly, um, letting them roam free in the neighborhood, not closing the gate, not having them behind the fence, uh, you know, putting them out in the front yard. Oh, my dog just stays on the front porch. They don't go anywhere. But then the dog roams the neighborhood. That in and of itself can prove the vicious element that overrides that one bite rule. So in Georgia, you don't have to prove the dog's bitten somebody before. You just have to simply show that they were carelessness in their control of the dog or that the, the dog got out and, and bit and attacked. So are there any breeds of dog that are considered to be more vicious than others, um, more responsible for biting people? Yes. And I know I'm going to probably hear from some of those <laughs> owners of dogs that I'm going to mention. But yes, there there is. And this is based on statistics. These are statistics that are assembled every year. And they put together the top 10 most dangerous dog breeds. And I actually looked this up because I wanted to make sure I had the up-to-date list. And this is the up-to-date list. And I'll go in reverse order. We'll okay. go from number okay. 10 down. Yeah. So number 10 is the St. Bernard. Oh. I know. They're, they're, Never known a St. Bernard. Yeah, you think of St. Bernard, you think of the big barrel uh, yeah. around their neck. Yeah. And, and very docile, but yet St. Bernards are number 10. They are. Number nine, Great Danes. I think they're very docile, too. Well, I thought so as well, but they're number nine well, on the list We didn't make the list, people. Right. We're just reading it. Uh, number eight, Chow Chows. Yeah. I um, got bit by one of those once. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Uh, I did. I did not know that. A Doberman is number seven. A Malamute is number six. A Wolf-Dog Hybrid, which I did not know there was such thing as mm-hmm. a prevalent domestic animal, but number a Wolf-Dog Hybrid is number five on yeah. that list. Number four is a Husky. I didn't think Huskies were aggressive at all, but Huskies are number four. Number three, German Shepherds. Number two, Rottweilers. And number one, Pit Bulls. Yeah. Well, you hear most about them. Yeah. Maybe they're in the news the most, or I don't know. Maybe they're number one for a reason. Well, they are. And that's what I was going to say. And some people are probably not going to be happy with me, but statistics tell the story. Pit Bulls have killed 248 people over the last 13 years. So in 13 years, 248 people have died as a result of being attacked by pit bulls. And Rottweilers, which are second on that list, they've killed 45 people in that same period of time. So that's a tremendous difference. That's over 200 people more that were killed by Rottweilers than by pit bulls in that same 13-year period. Wow. Now, again, we didn't make the list. I will say I'm real surprised that a Chihuahua is not on this list. Okay. Yeah. Well, that I've or been a nipped a couple or... <laughs> times by a Chihuahua, and uh, they're yeah. real. And again, we have one in our family, not you and I directly, but you know. Yeah, occasionally and, a, Chihuahua, uh, a Chihuahua will break the skin, but otherwise, sometimes you don't even know they're doing. Bite the the ankles. They're nippy. Yeah, they're nippy. I know my son was bitten by a Yorkie 
in the face. Yeah. So it was jumping, and, and he was little, and it just got him in the cheek. And he's been terrified of dogs ever since. And that since, proves so. any and every kind of dog can and, and yeah. will attack. And you uh, yeah. just never know. I don't think it was even aggressive. It was excited, and it was jumping, and somehow he took a, a tooth to the face. So, all right. Are there any studies that show what makes dogs tend to bite? And this kind of piggybacks off of what we were just talking about. Yes, there are studies. Um, in fact, just kind of reading through some of the very basic things they discuss, they might may bite if they feel threatened in some way. It's kind of an instinctual thing for animals in general, um, even domesticated animals. If they feel threatened in any way, they may bite. Uh, secondly, dogs bite to defend themselves, uh, their territory. For example, if a dog's in, uh, in a house and a visitor comes over, it's their territory. That's how they view it. Uh, if, if it's a mother dog, they may protect their puppies and may bite for that reason. Uh, dogs bite when they're startled. If you wake up a dog suddenly and startle them or a child approaches very quickly and, and provokes a dog, the, the dog could bite because they're startled. Uh, dogs can react by biting if you run away from them. People don't think about that one, but if you're fearful and you see a dog and you think to turn and run, sometimes the dog will run after you for that reason because you run and they'll attack and bite for that reason as well. Uh, dogs who are abused or abandoned, mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, they bite frequently because they've been abused and they'll um, you know, attack someone right mm -hmm. out of yep. fear. They're afraid they're going to get abused or, uh, or attacked again themselves. And dogs that are injured or sick is one of those final ones that a lot of people don't think about. You, maybe your personal family pet you've had for 10 years has never bitten a soul. It's, it's very friendly and docile. But if that dog's injured in any way and you get a pet, then they will react with biting. Wow. Well, are there any dog breed restrictions in Georgia? Yes, there are. In Metro Atlanta, several, several cities, and this is true, I think, in every state, but here in Metro Atlanta where we are, several cities have restrictions regarding different breeds. I kind of looked up a couple of those. In Marietta, for example, pit bulls and Rottweilers are prohibited from dog parks or off-leash areas. And that's, again, pit bulls and Rottweilers, if you think about it, those top two we talked about. Uh, in College Park, another Metro Atlanta area, pit bulls, Rottweilers, Dobermans, and German Shepherds are all considered potentially dangerous. Now, none of this means that that they're all uh, that there aren't any good pit bulls or good Rottweilers or right. other breeds. It's just all dogs have a potential to be good, and all dogs, unfortunately, have a potential to be uh, aggressive and attack. Um, it comes down to adequate training and responsibility from their owners um, and whether or not they take good care and, and control of their, their animal at any time. So in past shows, we've talked a lot about personal injury claims. We've talked about nursing home neglect car accidents you know we've we've are covering the gamut of all topics here but is there a statute on a dog bite claim any different than there would be a car accident um is it a year is it two years the statute of limitations on any personal injury claim is two years now that statute can be different based on certain things as an example a child uh, the statute tolls that means the statute delays until the child turns 18 and then the statute is two years from their 18th birthday now the craziness of that is mom and dad may be responsible for those medical bills so even though the statute tolls for the child for the pain and suffering element of it the parents arguably are responsible for the bills so you do not need to delay because mom and dad could get stuck with those bills if if an action's not started before that two-year statute so to kind of piggyback off of what your question uh, asked, the answer is call me. And the reality is every case is different. 
And the opportunity to be able to discuss the specific facts of your claim will help me answer that question more appropriately. Uh, and more importantly, jump in and, and take over the claim if, if there is a claim there to pursue against the owner of the dog, uh, homeowner's policy. And a lot of times people don't think about this, but businesses will use dogs to protect their property. I handled a dog bite case many years ago where a gentleman was in downtown Atlanta. He was walking from one place to another. He walked by a, a business that had dogs behind a fence to protect the business at nighttime. Well, the fence had been, um, I guess you could say, bent to the point where there was rust that had formed around the bend in the fence. And the, fen the fence was bent enough where the dogs could get out. They could get through that bent area. So ultimately, the dogs went after the gentleman and, and attacked him, and both of them bit him, and he had severe injuries and uh, lots of medical bills, and we were able to pursue the claim, not only based on the fact that they did not control those dogs, but also, too, we were able to show that they had notice because the area of the fence where the bend in the metal had taken place had rust that had formed. So rust doesn't form overnight. Right. That bend in that fence had been there for quite some time. So a reasonable inspection of the property would have shown them where they either knew or should have known that there's an area where those dogs could get out, and they did. It just happened that, that my guy was the, the victim this time, and I don't know if the dogs had gotten out before and attacked others because that, that was not something we were aware of. But in this situation at this time, we did find out, obviously, that there was an area where the dogs could escape, and they did. And then after they attacked him, they ran back. That was the craziness. The dogs went back and went back into the fenced area and stayed there. When the police showed up, they had gone back to where they were supposed to be. Wow. Well, I know, too, we talked a lot about how to document things if an attack happens. But I know from past shows and, and the education I'm getting from you that there would be, all right, you give me the legal term on this, but let's say there's not a fence and the dog breaks the leash or the chain that it's it's being held in the backyard. I'm just giving a hypothetical, right, or an example. And uh, there's a dog bite claim in, in process, a personal injury claim, and then all of a sudden a fence goes up. That yeah. would be relevant, too, right, to have those pictures and mm -hmm. to say, okay, this dog was a danger and the owner knew it, and now the fence has been put up. Yeah, that's that subsequent remedial measure yes. we talked about in a prior show. There are times when that is admissible, but there are also times when it's not uh, people talk about, too, the electronic fencing where you put the leash uh, or the collar, rather, on the dog. And there's no leash. It's just the collar. But the collar has the shock uh, right. element. So if the dog crosses that area where the buried fence line is, then they get shocked and they go back in. Uh, unfortunately, that doesn't work all the time. I've had cases where either the battery was not uh, working in the collar itself and the dog just roamed free or where the dog just went on and attacked someone anyway. And uh, one actually, it's not a case that I had, but there was one in the news where a dog pulled a child back into that area. Oh a child gosh. was, I think you mentioned riding a bicycle earlier. Well, that was what happened. The kid was on a bicycle. A dog attacked and literally dragged the kid off the bike back into the area within the confines of the buried fence line so they could attack. And they did. Wow. That's really scary and, again, shows how relevant this topic is for giving all of us this education, not only to teach us, but to, my suggestion, give this to our children, yes. right? I want to go home and tell them, get in the fetal position. Do not be afraid. Do, do not run because chances are, you The know, dog will chase yeah. and think that they're going after prey. Yeah, absolutely. Especially for I, a child that's small. I can give an example of a friend. This was many years ago, and I was living in a different state, but she was jogging and had her headphones on, didn't hear. But a dog came after her, not in aggression, but to play, a big dog. 
and she didn't hear it coming and it jumped up both paws on her back and knocked her forward and knocked her unconscious Mm -hmm. and it just again it was not an aggressive dog probably you know one of those big breeds that's kind of goofy and just wanted to play thought she was fun you know and um so and you know anything can happen yeah and that speaks to what i said earlier about it doesn't have to be a bite in the example you just gave that wasn't a bite but that's still an injury claim that's a we refer to it as a dog bite claim but technically it's not an actual bite and i'll say this every state's laws are different so for that very reason, it's relevant to call. And let me discuss the claim with you, the potential claim with you, and and talk about the laws uh, that, that affect your claim specifically and whether or not there's something we can pursue for you. All right. You're telling everyone listening to call. I'm going to turn it over to you. Give us all the channels to reach you, uh, to submit their questions, their podcast questions, and also to submit any possible personal injury claim that they may need help with representation. Yeah, absolutely. My phone number for the office is 404-777-HURT or 678-225-0970. You can also find me at my website. It's Derek, D-E-R-E-K, the letter M is in Matthew, Hayes, H-A-Y-S dot com. So Derek M. Hayes dot com. Uh, you can go to my Facebook page, the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes, Twitter, Law Office of Derek M. Hayes, or Instagram, Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. When you go to my website, You'll see a podcast tab. You can click the podcast tab and go and submit a question directly to me. All I'll ask is that you give me a name and your city and you just give me initials if you want to. But ask any question. Today's question was great. I appreciate Robert sending that in and being able to address that for him specifically. But, yes, submit any questions you have. And uh, if you have any other concerns or you want to discuss a potential claim, call. And I'll be the one to talk to you and we'll go through the facts of your claim. And if there is something I can handle and help you out with, I'll be happy to do that. Well, Derek, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. I think this was extremely insightful, as is every show. Um, So anyone listening, go to, if you've missed a show, please don't miss a show, right? Uh, Go back to any of Derek's prior shows on your favorite podcast app. Yeah, and I want to also close today with a tease. I've done this before, and and it was interesting because when I teased the next show coming up, it was almost as if it prompted specific questions about that topic. Oh, good. Okay. So, okay. in other words... I know, don't know what, what this tease is. Well, you it, haven't even told me. <laughs> well, then good. Maybe I'll get your question, too. But, yeah, I, I teased a show before, and then by the end of the week, uh, going into the next podcast, I had two questions that were submitted on the teased topic. So, I think uh, somebody thought, well, ooh, this is a great time for me to submit my question about that. So, the next podcast, we're going to talk about slip and fall claims. Um, people refer to them as slip and fall. As attorneys, we call them premises liability claims. We're going to talk about the difference between um, what we call static defects, uh, foreign objects. We're going to talk about the liability concerns. We're going to talk about plain view doctrine, uh, our prior tra- traverse doctrine, the reasonable man standard, uh, invitees, trespassers, licensees, all those fun, fun elements of <laughs> slip and fall premises liability claims okay but here's what i know so that's a teaser and it sounds really official and really legal but i know once you start diving into this stuff it's fascinating right and the questions that are coming in just keep them coming uh so i am here right if i'm guessing everyone that's listening has gathered this i am here as the voice of the people i am not an interior designer i am the host of the show here to ask derek all of the questions that are coming in so submit away and if it's not the next show, because uh, I guess Derek's already got <laughs> yeah. this lined up, what he wants to do, uh, we will get to all your questions, hopefully in, a, in future podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. This topic, the, the one coming up, was brought on, too, by another question I had with a client 
earlier this week. So. Well, good. So I guess when it's time, you'll give me that because I'm the host. Yeah. So yes. I'll need to know what uh, what I'm going to ask here is the the voice of the people. That's yeah. how I'm going to coin myself. So submit okay? your slip and fall questions. There you then. go. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes, presented by Status Home Design and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of our episodes anytime by visiting businessradiox.com, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, and then clicking Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. This program is also available on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, for Derek Hayes, I'm Lita Brooks, and you've been listening to Injury Insider on Business Radio X.